welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome Isham Nation to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 35. As always, we have a great show for you. Today, we're speaking to Jill Holdsworth, an infection preventionist from Emory University Hospital about the COVID-19 vaccines. Now, she has some good information for us that everyone should know about this new vaccine. Now, Isham Nation, at the end of the show, I have some great news for you about the CEs you earn for listening to each episode. Now the process just got a little easier for you, so stick around till the end of the show and hear the great news. Before we talk to Jill, let's let's talk about a few things. So believe it or not, it's that time of year again. It's time for you to vote for your 2021 Board of Directors. Now, you can find the nominees for this year in the March-April 2021 issue of Process Publication. So, the following leader positions for 2021 are President-Elect. Now, the President-Elect will serve, in case you don't know, consecutive one-year terms as President-Elect, President, and then past President. So, this President-Elect will serve as 2021-2022 President-Elect then president in 22-23, and then will join us as the past president for 23-2024. to There are also three director positions being voted on this year, and the directors serve a two-year term. So the presidential nominees are Anthony Bondin, Central Service Manager, HSHS St. John's Hospital, Springfield, Illinois, and Marjorie Wall, Director of Sterile Processing, Kaiser Permanente, Downey, California. Now, the 2021 director nominees are as follows. Arlene Bush, System Educator for Sterile Processing and Quality Auditing, Advent Health Central Florida Division, Advent Health Orlando, Florida. And then we have Anita Cassell, Director of Central Service Processing, Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital, New Brunswick, New Jersey. And then next we have Orlando Centron, Manager of Perioperative Support Services and Central Processing Department, Memorial Salon, Kettering Cancer Center, New York, New York. And the next nominee is Casey Karnowski, Perioperative Service Educator, Sterile Processing, Stanford Healthcare, San Francisco Bay, California. And then next we have Tracy Davenport, Manager, Sterile Processing Operations, Northside Hospital, Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. And then last, Allison Sunstelli, Sterile Processing Lead Coordinator, Stanford Health, Fargo, North Dakota. Congratulations to all of the nominees this year. For more information about each of the nominees, including their vision for Isham, leadership experience and qualifications, they're all available on the Isham website and in the online voting portal. So please be sure to review each candidate's information and cast your vote. Now here's the important part. Cast your vote 
between March 16th and April 6th. All right, next on the show, and I know this is what you've all been waiting for, at least you've been waiting for it since the last episode, more fun facts about your 2021 Conference City, Columbus, Ohio. Now today, we're looking at the top restaurants in Columbus. So you might be asking yourself, why food? Well, it's because food is one of the great things about going to a conference, treating yourself to a nice meal or two. So here we go with the some top restaurants in Columbus in no particular order. The Cucina de Espirito. Now the accent there was provided for you and no extra charge. Now this is an Italian restaurant and it's two to three dollar signs. And one of the reviews from this restaurant was, my son had the swordfish special and he said it was the best fish he ever had. So if you're into swordfish, this might just be the place for you. Now the next restaurant is the Refectorio Restaurant. Now this is French European and it's about $4 sign. So bling bling on this restaurant. And then one review, Escargot was great, but a little sandy. Now, not really my cup of tea, but if sucking on snails is your thing, here you go. Next on our restaurant list is Mitchell's Ocean Club. Now, this is an interesting name since if you haven't figured it out yet, Columbus is landlocked, but that could just be me. So the Ocean Club is a steakhouse, and I like steak. Again, $4, so a little pricey, but if you're gonna pay for steak, this might be the way to go. Now, here's a review from the Ocean Club, and this is a good one. Get the tater tots for the table if you wanna make friends. Well, what if I just wanna eat steak, right? So maybe the tater tots are good, I don't know, but I'm in it for the steak. So uh, try the Ocean Club Steakhouse. Moving on, we have Schmidt's Sausage Haas und Restaurant. Now, if you didn't guess already, that's a German-American restaurant, and I love some German food. Uh, it's not too pricey, it's two to three dollar signs. One review from one of the patrons of this restaurant is, it's like an old friend. And then last on the list, we have the Bakersfield Short North. Now this is a Mexican or Southwest restaurant. It's at two to three dollar signs. And this review says it's a great bar for drinks, tacos, and ambiance. So, you know, can you really ask for anything more than good drinks and good tacos? So with that, that's all we have for this week. Tune in to the next episode for more fun facts about your conference city, Columbus, Ohio. Today we're talking with Jill Holdsworth, an infection preventionist. Jill obtained a Bachelor's of Science from West Virginia Wesleyan College in Biology and a Master's of Science from Marshall University in Exercise Science. She began her career as a cardiac rehab therapist in Huntington, West Virginia. Jill began working as an infection preventionist in 2009, obtaining her CIC after one year in the field, and became a Fellow of APIC in 2016. Jill also became involved in APIC in 2009 with the D.C. chapter, becoming the secretary in 2012, president-elect in 2013, and eventually president in 2014. She was the 2015-2016 APIC Emergency Management Committee Chairman 
and is currently serving on Amy Protective Barriers Committee as a co-chair. Jill is a certified EMT and is certified in sterile processing through ISHM. She is currently working in Atlanta, Georgia as the manager of infection prevention at Emory University Hospital Midtown. Thank you, Jill, for joining the Isham Nation and discussing the topic of vaccines with us today. Thanks so much for having me. So in sterile processing, we typically don't have direct patient contact. Should we get vaccinated? Sure, that's a great question. Most of the time, the sterile processing department is still going to be inside a facility. And plus, we want to make sure that all of us are getting vaccinated within our communities. It's really important that we all understand how herd immunity works. And to achieve herd immunity within our communities, that we need to encourage as many people to get vaccinated as possible. And even though you may not be patient-facing in your facilities, we still want to make sure that we're encouraging all people that work in healthcare facilities to get vaccinated. When you're in your communities, we want to also encourage everybody in the communities to get vaccinated too, so that we can achieve those herd immunity numbers. So um, even if you're not patient-facing, we still want to make sure that we're answering questions for everybody to make sure that we understand herd immunity, that we're getting everybody vaccinated, and so that we can get everybody safe within our healthcare facility. So what vaccines are out there for COVID today and how effective are they really? Yeah, great question because there there is um, a new vaccine that, that just recently came out. So the ones that we're probably most familiar with at this point are the two that came out first, which are two mRNA vaccines. We have the Pfizer vaccine and we have the Moderna vaccine. So these were the first that came out with the FDA EUA. And then we have our, our newest vaccine that just became um, FDA EUA approved, and it's the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So the Pfizer and the Moderna are the two-dose vaccine, and the Johnson & Johnson is the one-dose vaccine. All three of these vaccines are extremely effective. They are a, a little bit different as far as the, the two mRNA vaccines, and then we have the Johnson & Johnson, which is a little bit different. It is an adenovirus vector vaccine. They are just a little bit different as far as the mechanism in which they are delivered, but they all are very effective vaccines. And we do get the question a lot of which vaccine is right for me, which one is better, which one is more effective. And the best answer that anybody can give is get the, vac the first vaccine that you can get in your arm. They're all very effective. They're all very safe. And we want you to get whichever vaccine that you can get. So any vaccine that, that is offered to you, whichever facility that you can get to that has a vaccine, get whichever one that you can get in your arm first because they're all great vaccines and they're all very effective. So you mentioned something. You mentioned mRNA. Can you explain what the mRNA vaccine technology is? Because some people out there are saying it changes your DNA. Now, is that true? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. One, it does not change your DNA. Um, mRNA stands for messenger RNA, and what this means is the vaccine is just going to contain some genetic code that is going to make one of the spike proteins found on the surface of the coronavirus particle. And what this is going to do is your cells will use that genetic code to make that spike protein that your immune system learns to recognize. And that way, if you're exposed to coronavirus in the future, your immune system is going to be able to react to it. So it's not going to change your DNA at all. And we've been using this kind of mRNA technology before to research vaccines. So this is not necessarily something brand new, um, but this is something that we already knew how to use. 
A lot of people are concerned about how fast these vaccines were developed. You know, there's names out there like Operation Warp Speed. Is there enough data to say that they are safe for long-term use? Sure, it's a great question. So the, the side effects that we're seeing occurred very shortly after the injection, and we can talk more about the side effects um, later, but the side effects were seen very shortly after the injection and were relatively safe because they were expected. We expect that after we get a vaccine that we are going to see a, a very mild response, which is a typical immune reaction. And with these mRNA vaccines, We've been using this technology, like I said, for quite a while, and we have the genetic code for these, this coronavirus as early as January 2020. So the researchers were able to start working on the vaccine even before we had confirmed cases in the United States. So it's not that it was warp speed as the name alludes to, which I think is what kind of alarmed people that we developed this really too fast. So this is a very safe vaccine. It was developed under many, many clinical trials and in a very safe manner. And the mild to moderate side effects were, again, they were very expected. It was a typical immune response and it has been shown to be safe for long-term use. Of course, long-term side effects have not been reported with either the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine, but the researchers and clinicians are going to continue to follow and monitor for all of the vaccine recipients, but so far everything's been going well and there haven't been any kind of long-term side effects. For a lot of people, it's really hard to trust vaccine information from the government and pharmaceutical companies because there is a history of mistreating people, especially African Americans in research studies. Now, the government and pharmaceutical companies they all seem to have a biased interest, whether it's politically or financially, in getting people to take the vaccine. What would you say to people who are really struggling with this issue? This has been a, a kind of a real hot topic, with, especially with COVID and the COVID vaccine. But you do see this kind of pop up every now and then um, with any vaccine or, or treatment. And, and I would give the same advice to anybody that's struggling with the COVID vaccine, no matter what the reason is that you're struggling with it, whether it's just uh, mistrust, whether it's uncertainty or you're uncomfortable about the information that you're being given, I, I would do your research. I would ask somebody that you trust. I would ask your healthcare professional your questions and make sure that, that you have those questions answered. I would go to some trusted resources and make sure that you educate yourself on what it is that you're asking your questions about. So there's a lot of information out there right now about COVID, about the vaccines, about what the side effects should be, about contraindications for the vaccine. I would just make sure that you educate yourself and, and make sure that you feel comfortable about what you're doing. And if you don't feel comfortable about what you're doing or about what you're hearing, contact your healthcare provider and, and ask them not only for their advice, but where you could find some more information or about what you should do next. No one is, is forcing anybody to do anything right now, but there is a lot of information out there that can make you feel better and more comfortable about what your choices are right now and what you should do for your next step. So it's being recommended to continue the distancing and wearing a mask even after vaccinated. There's these new variants of COVID that we have that some say may not even work with the vaccine. So what is the real benefit of that? Yeah, so no vaccine is going to be 100% effective, and that's with any vaccine. 
you could still get infected and you can still spread COVID to others with or without symptoms. So right now, we are still recommending that even if you get vaccinated, that you still wear a mask in public. And if you're a healthcare provider, that you still wear a mask when you're at work, when you're in your healthcare institution. Um, the CDC did put out an update that if you are fully vaccinated and you're around other fully vaccinated individuals, that you can um, hold small indoor gatherings as long as you're with other fully vaccinated individuals. So I do encourage you to read those CDC guidelines and make sure that you fully understand those guidelines and when that is appropriate. Uh, as healthcare professionals, the recommendation is still that we wear our mask while at work and while in our healthcare institution. So um, that being said, while in public and while in our communities, it is still recommended that we are masking and social distancing and practicing good hand washing because we know that is what we can do to stop the spread. It's really important that we still continue to do that because we can still asymptomatically spread COVID even if we are vaccinated. It's still very important that we still do the basics. And it's also very important that everyone understands that just because you receive the second dose or your first dose of Johnson Johnson, you aren't immediately considered fully vaccinated. It does take one to two weeks before you should practice those kind of lesser practices of, of being fully vaccinated, quote unquote. So making sure that you wait those full two weeks afterwards before you consider yourself fully vaccinated instead of kind of on that first day of vaccination. You want to wait the full two weeks to make sure that um, it's fully in your system and, and you have achieved that level of immunity that we're speaking of. I think it's important to note, too, that you can also be exposed right before one of your doses of the vaccine. Some people have been testing positive right after their vaccine or shortly after their vaccine, and they're wondering what happened. But it, it is possible to be exposed right before getting the vaccine, and you won't test positive until many days after the vaccine. So it has nothing to do with being vaccinated that you're testing positive. It may be that you were exposed right before the vaccine or right after the vaccine. So you can still test positive in between vaccines or even right after the vaccine because the exposure period was so close to when you got vaccinated. So we still have to make sure that we're maintaining those basic principles, even when we are vaccinated, because you don't know when you've been exposed. And even if you let your guard down, you can still be exposed. You can still be a carrier and still pass it, especially those asymptomatic carriers that, that can pass it. So we, we can't let our guard down. This is not the time to let our guard down. We definitely don't want to have a second wave and we want to prevent as much as possible. There are a lot of conspiracy theories and fake news out there about the vaccines. Where do you recommend people go to fact check these? I would recommend always um, trusting your sources like the CDC. Um, I would trust sources like APIC, um, which is the Association for Professionals and in Infection Control, APIC.org. APIC has developed a COVID task force that we've been working really hard over the past year to make some consumer fact sheets that you can pull straight off their website that have been geared more towards the community, but have been a great resource on masking, on social distancing. We have one on herd immunity. And you can go to apic.org and, and grab those and even share them socially just to help educate others. I think we can't educate each other enough, and especially those in the community, to help everybody understand um, what is important, what is still important, uh, what, what is important after vaccination. So things like that, I think, are really important to share. 
going to the CDC for updates on um, what's going on locally, what's going on around the globe, but also getting the the important updates that are happening, I think are really important too. And just making sure that you're going to those trusted websites and not, uh, you know, to local news stations or to maybe something that's just trying to grab your attention because of of a headline, I think, or, or where we're getting into trouble with the media. The media can sometimes focus on the wrong thing just to grab attention and you want to go to those trusted resources or or even to um, somebody within your own healthcare institution that you know may um, may be able to have kind of the the reasonable explanation for you. Um, I am in the infection prevention department so of course I'm going to tell you to go to infection prevention if, if you have questions have them come to your department. We've had a, a great success with kind of going to the old departments just to answer questions. What we've seen in a lot of um, in a lot of our ways in, in the last year is there's a lot of emails that go around, and um, it makes people feel so much better to have a face to talk to and someone to answer their questions in person, and, and it just makes people feel a lot more at ease if they can have a person and a, and a face to talk to to instead of just reading the email with the updated information. And a lot of people have some personal questions and personal issues they really just want to talk to somebody about. So if you can find that person in your facility who will come to the department just to talk to people, especially about vaccine hesitancy, it really, really helps if you can get somebody to do that in person rather than to just put out like a fact sheet or something like that, because this is a very personal thing for people. Mm -hmm. And to have somebody to do that in in person is it will mean a lot more than to just read an information sheet. I've heard stories of people feeling sick after they get the vaccine. What are the other reactions that people should expect from the vaccine? It is a completely normal reaction to have some symptoms after the vaccine. Uh, It's 24 to 48 hours is really kind of the time frame that most people are seeing some side effects. Mild to moderate symptoms can sometimes include fevers, headache, mild fatigue, muscle and joint pain. Pain at the injection site has been fairly common. Some people, about 10%, have had more significant symptoms. Um, but if you do re- have some, what you would consider more of a severe allergic reaction, such as trouble breathing, chest pain, heart palpitations, any kind of swelling of the face or throat, um, or a rash all over your body, those would be what we would consider more severe symptoms that you would want to contact your healthcare provider. But those kind of mild to moderate symptoms are the ones that we consider very, um, very normal reactions for the 24 to 48 hour period. So, um, you know, I think that a lot of people are reporting those and, it, and it's making people very nervous because they don't want to feel sick. In general, most people are only going to feel sick for a few hours and then they feel completely fine afterwards. And then there are a huge group of people that don't even feel any symptoms at all. I think the the take home message is just to know if you do can, if you do feel those symptoms, just remember that this is a very normal immune reaction to a vaccine. And as long as you don't feel any of those severe allergic symptoms, that this is your body at work. This is your body helping you to make sure that it can fight off COVID in the future if you're exposed. And that that this is a a great thing. This is a great thing that is happening to us because we were able to get a vaccine. Your body is reacting appropriately and you'll probably feel fine within 24 hours. This is a great thing that science can do for us. Jill, thank you for sharing with us today. This is a hot topic right now, and you've really given us some timely, much-needed information. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you, Jill, for speaking with us today, and thank you for providing us with information that can help sterile processing folks make an informed decision about COVID vaccines. Great news, Isham Nation. If you have an Isham account, after you complete the CE survey for this episode and correctly identify the code for the episode, along with filling in your account number, your certificate will automatically be sent to the Isham Home Office and will be entered into your account. This means you will not have to send in your certificate for recertification. It will be added to your account. Now, I tried this out for myself the other day and it worked great. All I ask is that you give it a week or so for the great Isham staff to work their magic. And when you're ready to renew your certification, your CE will be waiting for you. Now, here's an important note. If you submitted a survey for CE credit prior to March 6th, so before March 6th, 2021, you will still have to send in your certificate. Anything after the date of March 6th will be automatically put into your account. So uh, if you have something for January, you're still going to have to send in that certificate. But if you submit your request today, March 15th, your certificate will automatically be put into your account. Isham Nation, episode 35 is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code Ocean Club. Again, the code for this episode is Ocean Club. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.